You're listening to the Eat, Drink, Triad podcast, the podcast of the Triad Food and Beverage Coalition. We bring the restaurant and bar community to you, discussing issues that may impact not only Triad food and beverage businesses, but the public they serve. Let's open the menu and see what are today's specials. I'm Algernon Cash, and this is Eat, Drink, Triad, uh, your leading source for everything happening with the local food and beverage industry. Um, so many of you that I know that love and support restaurants um, understand and recognize that restaurants have been under a lot of pressure as of late, um, not only because of some of the rising costs associated with food and supply chain disruptions, but also because of staffing, just unable to um, attract and retain enough people um, for all the, the various positions that they have to staff from the kitchen to the front of the house. And so I, I wanted to bring on a good friend of mine who I've known for many years, um, someone who actually used to work in the service industry, no longer works in the, the industry any longer, but still continues to be an advocate uh, for service industry employees, but wanted to get her insight on just why so many service industry employees are leaving. And then not only why are they leaving, where are they going? Um, Jillian, welcome to Eat, Drink, Triad. How are you? Doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I guess just to give my, my audience a little bit of context and background, uh, I had the, the pleasure of meeting you when I was living at the um, Reynolds building, um, which also houses the, the Kempton Cardinal Hotel. At, at the time, you were the restaurant manager for the Catherine and, um, and enjoyed so many nights at, at the Catherine. I, I used to call that my cafeteria to some degree. Um, just just great food, great service, good people who, who work there. Um, but you, you, you know, you and I left, we, we sort of lost contact a little bit after you left. And then we picked back up contact around 2020 when COVID first hit, you're someone that had already left the service industry before COVID even happened. Um, let's just start there. What, what motivated or prompted you to, to get out of the service industry? Um, I guess it's a buzzword that's been used a lot, but a work-life balance, because when you're in any kind of salaried capacity in a restaurant, folks don't realize it, but you're at the beck and call. You're doing 60, 70 hour weeks. Um, I had just had my daughter, so she was still under a year old when I did decide to leave. And it was mostly because I just wasn't getting time with her or having any kind of general semblance of a schedule that I could basically build my personal life around. Yeah, and I, I mean, you, you hear that so often for many people who work in the industry. I mean, you may go in, you're working doubles, you're there all day. Um, if you happen to be someone that's closing, you, you could be in there, you know, till midnight, one o'clock in the morning, just depending on what time your, your restaurant closes. If, if you're a manager, then you're basically on duty, on call at, at any given point. Um, you know, do you, do you feel like um, even before COVID, just, just some of that, that need for work-life balance was that prompting people to go ahead and exit the industry even, even before COVID came along? The ability. That, that was the big crux. So it's not something that's super easy for people in that era to walk away from. And even when I did it, I actually took a $15,000 a year pay cut to go work in a call center. So it's not like I was, you know, like jumping around and had a ton of opportunity. I had support because my, you know, my spouse was still working and was still, you know, we were able to make up that gap. But not everybody has the luxury to even do that. So, you know, for, for me, that's what drove it is, is, you know, we were able to seek that out. We could, we could cut here and there and save money where we needed to, but being able to have that family time trumps everything else, especially newly married, new kids. That's a very tenuous time. And again, it's, it's just not a luxury that a lot of people had even pre COVID to just kind of make that transition. 
And it, but you know, it always almost seemed like, I mean, I've, I've always been on record saying that the restaurant industry, I mean, it's a hard job. I mean, you're, you're dealing with people all day, not only the people that you work with, your, your fellow teammates, but you're also just dealing with the public, you know, throughout the day. It's very stressful. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people that work in that industry have a lot of other concerns and worries that are outside of that restaurant. Um, and sometimes it can be very difficult not to bring some of those concerns and worries into that restaurant with you. Um, so may, maybe you, you, you may forget to refill that water because you're worried about how you're going to pay the rent tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and, and so sometimes that happens. But, you know, it felt like to me, Jillian, I mean, we all knew the industry was difficult, but it felt like to me when COVID hit, some, something different happened. I mean, there, 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 was, this, there was this big shift that um, may, maybe for many people who were reluctant to leave the industry, it, it almost gave them an, an exit and a door to do so. I mean, is that sort of what you've seen from some of your 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 former colleagues in the industry? Oh, absolutely. People saw that they were in in effect like expendable in a moment's notice because there was a period where nobody knew exactly what was going to happen. But in my own household, I had two people that were immediately out of work. So you knew that there was like, you know, my sister who was with us and then my husband, they both were just, it was, well, you can't come in. We don't really know what's going to happen. So you get hit with that precarity. A lot of people that might also be financially insecure, you live in a fight or flight stance. So you're going to automatically have to start formulating, well, what's next? Just to make sure that, you know, I can cover rent, I can cover whatever grocery bills I have, you know, whatever you need. So it's almost like that in that instance, it became actualized and people started realizing that there are things outside of that industry, which may have served them for a long time, that they could be doing that in fact, that in fact would actually be a little bit more secure. Yeah. And, and I, I, I also think that, um, and, and I, I was even someone who stepped into some hot water on Facebook when all this happened, because I, I you know, I made a comment that um, a lot of service industry folks probably were just laying up at home and, um, you know, smoking weed and drinking wine and not wanting to work. And, and, you know, I, I had to sort of walk back those comments and certainly I also had to sort of do some self-reflection and really think about, you know, our industry and, and just how, you know, how much pressure it places on the people that work in that industry. And, and as I started to really do some of that reflection, I also started to, to learn that a lot of people in the industry, you, you know, the federal relief money that came, um, the, the extended unemployment benefits, all the, the, the various programs, relief programs that got created, you know, through the federal government, even down to, to local government, it seems like a lot of people might have used that as a bridge. Um, you know, as, as an opportunity to go back to school, as an opportunity to pick up a new skill or trade, or, or as an opportunity just to create that space so that they could actually exit the industry and do something different. Now, I know that wasn't the intended, you know, use of those relief programs, but people tend to, you know, respond and use things, you know, how, however they're going to use it. Do you do you have do you know personal stories? I mean, do you know people in the industry that that sort of use that that relief to to sort of create that next opportunity for themselves? A few people that are already back in school. Um, there were some instances of some folks that bartended downtown that actually even went back to nursing school, just decided to go to nursing school and make that jump. So you're seeing people that are getting out of like service related fields, but it's not like they're going and getting like, you know, master's degrees in these like random fields. They're they're literally transferring to different styles of trades that are that are in high demand and need for a lot of blue collar. I mean, even nursing is considered a blue collar profession. Um, so, I mean, you're seeing that parallel in that jump. But so you know, I I, two years, two year trades more so. I I described the 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 event where I sort of stepped in some hot water myself, and I I think that there are still a lot of people though. A lot I I still hear it. I have to push back on it when I hear it. 
lot of people that just feel like people are being lazy. They don't want to work. They don't want to go back to work. They've gotten so used to not being able to work. You know, what, if, if, what would you say to those people? I mean, you're someone that worked in that industry. You've made the transition. What, what would you say to that person that these folks are just being lazy? I would literally ask them to remove themselves from themselves because it's it's insane. If you if you have ever worked in that field, if you have ever been in those situations, then you know that it is nothing out like it is nothing related to laziness. And then if you also look at the quick stratification of things surrounding housing, childcare, everything, there is so much to this that if you think things exist on a binary, let me know how that feels because man, it must be nice to not have to place context or nuance on anything. It is ridiculous to not think about the weight that people carry whenever they have to make these decisions to go back into work or basically stay out just so they can take care of their kids or even adults uh, that are still unable to go out. Like it's there's there's a lot to this and, and the lack of nuance is is somewhat upsetting. But I guess when you're somebody that has never had to employ it in your life because things have been kind of on a binary, it's very frustrating. But no, step outside yourself and actually listen. Go talk to people that are working in these places. I think that's good advice. Conversation. I, I, I think it's great advice. And I think you're right. There's a lot of moving parts to it. Uh, I mean, it, it, you, 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 you know, I had a conversation with a, a lady who takes care of her mom and, you, you know, still to this day, she's afraid to go back to working in restaurants. Not that she's lazy, not that she doesn't want to go back. She misses her customers, but she doesn't necessarily want to risk her, her mom's health. You know, if she was to contract COVID or some variation of COVID, and bring it home. So I, I do think your your advice is spot on. You you brought up the housing issue, and you know I follow you a lot online on Facebook. And it, you know when COVID hit, um, you and several others um, really sprung into action with trying to help people not to get evicted from their their homes or their apartments or whatever wherever they're they're living. Um, any update on what's going on with the the housing situation locally for for a lot of people now? Still very precarious. I want to say I don't want to give a improper context quote, but I know that nationally Fox just did a recent study that showed housing costs increase. I want to say it was 59% for renters um, in the span, like, oh, excuse me, 19% in the span of one year. Uh, it was looking over over time at the 59%. But 19% is insane when you look at even just our current inflation and how people are, are living. So North Carolina, Winston-Salem, North Carolina is still 16th nationally for evictions. Um, Greensboro's at 7th, High Point is at 18th, I believe. And the big thing with Winston right now is we have recently had Wake Forest University come out with a study with New America showing that we are 16,000 units less of housing, affordable housing that's needed. So really, that's going to be kind of the, the next crux of, of where is this housing going to come? When is it going to be built? Uh, and how are people that serve Winston, that live in Winston, going to be able to actually be here and not be pushed out to Kernersville. So I've talked to some tenants lately. And what you're seeing is people are having to leave their homes and go all the way out to Kernersville. And then that kind of plays in. What if you have issues with, with transport? What if you are not, not able to access public transport? How can you get to work? I mean, it's a precarious situation, but I do know that a right to counsel is being pushed and is something that is really focused on so that tenants can actually have um, representation in court. Less than 5% of tenants have representation. 90% of landlords standardly, and that would go a long way in really kind of stabilizing some of our uh, evictions within Forsyth County. Well, and I, I appreciate the, the the work you're doing there. I mean, I do think that, you know, some three basic necessities everybody needs, that's food, shelter, and housing. Um, and I saw that same study that Wake Forest produced. It, it, you know, they're saying we need about 16,000 units in the next eight years. I've, you know, had some conversations with our mayor, and um, I, I, I know that they are 
trying to allocate um, as much of this federal money as they can towards affordable housing. I, I think the state of North Carolina has also allocated another $20 million to Forsyth County for affordable housing, um, but it's, it's still very too early to figure out if that's going to be enough to get us to, to where we need to get to. And of course, we're going to need the, the private development community to respond and 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 also try to get involved with, with you know, attacking the, the need as well. Are you still seeing a large number of evictions in Forsyth County or is, has, has that curtailed in the past year? There's 119 cases last Monday. 119 wow, so- last cases in the AM session to include a nine month pregnant mother who could not get a, a continuance who was in active labor. And so obviously for my audience, I mean, this is still a big, big issue out there. I mean, on, on one end, um, many of us talk about how great the real estate market is doing. And, you know, I've got friends who have sold houses here recently and, you know, had windfall profits. Um, but but we also should always remember on the opposite side of so many people doing great, there are some people that are um, um, paying the brunt of it. I, I actually talked to a restaurant manager. She, she's an assistant bar manager here in town. I won't say where. Um, but, but she came up to me because her rent was going up about, I think, four hundred dollars um, um, on a monthly basis. And so she was being to some degree forced to move out, not forced to move out in the sense that the landlord was putting her out. But, but certainly, you know, if you're paying eight hundred dollars one month and then all of a sudden expected to pay twelve hundred dollars the next month, then you, you're going to find that difficult to do, um, you know, most likely based on a, on an assistant bar manager's um, you know, in, income. You know, Jillian, there's a big debate going on, not only here in the triad, but across the country about wages and benefits for service industry employees. Um, you know, what, what would be your advice to owners right now? Obviously, there is a severe staffing shortage. Um, you know, many of us are predicting the shortage could actually get worse before it gets better. Um, what, what's your advice to owners right now? What, what should they be thinking about? Ways that you can actually incentivize employees to have some greater investment. Um, I'm an advocate of worker-owned co-ops. I know that seems like a little bit of a radical concepts. But um, I mean, there, there's ways that you can do things like that, where you can still keep a share, you can still be invested in a business, and you can still have people that are excited to actually work for you and with you because they have equal share in investment. Um, it's a thin, like you said, we, we've talked about this, how much, Algernon, just how razor thin margins are in restaurants. Is there a magic wand that's going to fix it? No, but you're going to have to find ways to incentivize people to want to work because folks are learning, folks are finding new trades, and people are finding ways that they can make ends meet outside of of the industry. And I'm in Boston right now. We're house hunting in Boston. And I can tell you up here, I couldn't even imagine. Uh, Winston-Salem, where you know you're looking at probably about anywhere between 750 and 12. Up here you're looking at 21 to 28. Um, so mm-hmm. it is, it's everywhere. And anybody that's going to be in that industry is going to need to figure something out. And so for owners, you're going to probably have to find a way to incentivize them to come on. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but uh, well, I don't think anyone knows the exact way to, to fix. It. I think the, the the word you're using, incentivize, is an important word because there's a lot of ways to incentivize people, and and I I think owners are going to have to get a lot smarter about finding those creative ways to do so. I know Dennis Quaintance over at Quaintance Weaver in Greensboro, um, he 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 converted um, his hotel to proximity to an ESOP program, so now it's it's actually employee owned. Um, and he did that as part of part of a you know just repositioning of, of everything that they're doing within their hospitality company. I've heard several people talk about providing 401k and, and healthcare benefits and retirement and dental benefits and those kind of things. And certainly some restaurants, if it's most Make likely, sure if you're, that the employees can afford the cost of benefits, that is key. I hate to step on you, 
But I know but no, prior fun. to this, I worked in healthcare. I worked in health insurance. That was my job. And I still couldn't even use my health insurance when I worked for a health insurer because of the cost. We had it yeah. if, if anything happened. But if you're going to have a HDHP, a high deductible health plan, you're going to have to hit $3,200 family deductible. Like it's, yeah, you can bring in healthcare. You can bring in a lot of that stuff, but you got to make sure people have the money to use it. That's, that's yeah, just whether where the, or not, the rub is. Whether- whether or not it's usable. And I, yeah, I mean, high deductible plans. I mean, you're, you're typically going to have a high deductible to meet before you actually, the insurance kicks in for you. So, it, it, you know, I know a lot of owners, if you're listening, I know you're out there trying to wrestle with this. This this is a big, big challenge. Um, again, if, if you're in like fine dining, you're, you're probably got a little bit more margins to work with. If you're in fast casual, you're, you're probably finding this to be very, very difficult to navigate through. Um, but you, you certainly will have to figure something out. You know, Jillian, you're doing something entirely new now. You're over at Amazon Web Services. I've actually talked a lot about this because, as you mentioned, I think um, employees are finding new, new hustles, so to say. Um, you know, Amazon, not particularly in what you're doing, but I know even here locally, you know, Amazon is starting people out at $20 an hour, you know, plus benefits. You've got FedEx that that's hiring like crazy. Um, a lot of people who were bartending two years ago are now DoorDashers today. Um, so there, there's just so much going on. Um, now, some would argue that these big, big tech companies and tech giants um, are going to squash small businesses. What, 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 do you, what do you think? It's very much dependent upon the industry, because with what I'm, I'm doing is that this is my ability to kind of get in here, gain position, learn web services, web computing from like, you know, somebody that's kind of been at the edge leading edge with that technology and then being able to transfer it to what I want to do is eventually is have my own worker own co-op. So my goal is, is a tech owned co-op. So you have a lot of people too, when you look at certain subsections within these industries, people are in here, people are doing the work, people are learning the jobs, but then they're also going to want to translate this to something they can do locally. Um, a lot of people don't realize the value of, of open development, open source development, and just how much is going on out there. So on the um, development side, I would say that's that's one thing. But within uh, possibly squashing other local competitors, that's a precarity that still does definitely exist, as you see a lot of these monoliths come in. But I would also say that's where we should look at investing in things like worker-owned co-ops, where you have municipal money being spent, municipal means to keep money within those communities directly benefiting those folks, and then coming back to the actual government. Like it's it's a it's a it's a give and take kind of thing. You need to measure it. You need to be sure that you're measuring ways to do this. So instead of giving those incentives to groups like Amazon, maybe we look at how we can do that locally within our own communities. Hmm. I think that uh, you know what you're describing is sort of an out of box um, way of approaching it, but I I think that's probably where we are now. Is we're going to have to start thinking a lot more out of the box. I was actually with some economic developers at the High Point um, Regional Economic Development Meeting. And they were talking about more um, employee-owned small businesses. I mean, s- similar to what you're talking about, something I probably wouldn't have heard some of those folks mention, you know, many years ago. But now they're they're actually investigating it. So I agree with you. I, I think small business owners, you're going to have to get really innovative and creative because the the, the large tech giants, whether it's Apple or Amazon um, or the big logistic companies like FedEx and, and UPS and so many others, um, they they have uh, just an incredible demand for workers right now. They they do seem to be in a position to pay very well. And I cannot fault any worker who would actually go to a place to make more money and put themselves and their family in a better position. Um, and that, that may mean they don't want to wash dishes at your restaurant on Friday night. So um, we're going to have to get very thoughtful about how we do it. Jillian, for you, man, congratulations, because I have followed you on Facebook and 
you had so many big companies that were interested in you and you ultimately selected Amazon. And I, I carefully kept up with that process to see where you were going to land at. And um, so it's so good to see how far you've come from the Catherine. Thank you um, just for taking some time out your busy schedule to talk to my audience. And um, as I get ready to wrap up, do you have any closing remarks you want to you want to make? So um, a lot of times it's, it's you got to step out of the box. So like you said, thinking outside of the confines of what we've traditionally done, because we see where, where it leads. So I would just push for everybody, regardless of who you are, if you're some high level individual that's doing any kind of urban planning or trying to bring folks in, even if you're somebody that's just trying to get something off for yourself, don't limit yourself. The world's going to limit you enough. Give yourself a shot and, um, and see what you can do because nobody else is going to do it for you. Well, I think that's great closing advice. And then to my audience, I always appreciate you all joining me. Uh, make sure you do stay tuned to WTOB. That is where Eat, Drink, Triad broadcast every Sunday morning at 730. Um, you also can catch your restaurant of the week on Eat on WTOB. Um, and then always make sure you're following Eat, Drink, Triad on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And until next time, y'all stay locked in. of this podcast are solely those of the contributors and are not necessarily those of our distributors or hosting companies. This podcast is copyrighted and cannot be used or reproduced without the express written consent of the Triad Food and Beverage Coalition.